Hello and Merry Christmas to you all. The big day is almost here. It's a couple days away now, so I thought what better time than to talk about a historical figure who is deeply connected to the Christmas uh, holiday. Although, not for any reasons that have to do with anything he did. He had no really connection to Christmas during his life. But thousands of years later, people made that connection. Uh, we're going to talk about Santa Claus, or as he's more accurately known, St. Nicholas. Uh, who was a real person. I lived at a time here on Earth, did real things, you know, not just a mythical character, although the Santa Claus we know of today is mainly mythical, uh, but based on a real person, and that real person is is called Saint Nicholas, or Saint Nick, although he never would have gone by that in his day. That's just a nice nickname we have him for today. So let's talk about Saint Nicholas. Uh, unfortunately, Unlike a lot of my historical characters I like to talk about, uh, we don't know a lot about him. Like, there's not a lot of deep history. We don't have any of his writings. Uh, in fact, there was nothing written about him from his own time. There's like no historical record from when he was actually alive about anybody named Nicholas, who lived in his corner of the world that he's supposed to have lived in. Uh, we don't see any really inkling of him until a couple hundred years after he was supposedly around a couple hundred years after he died you we have records of there being churches in his name especially in myra which is where he was bishop of while he was alive uh, there's a, a church there saint nicholas cathedral and then it, it's really not till about 500 years and after he died that we start actually having written records of stuff he supposedly did uh, and those are very sparse to begin with and then a lot of legend gets attached to it. And so most of what we know of the history of, of the man, St. Nicholas, is, is largely legend. We're not entirely sure how much of it is accurate, if any of it ever happened. Uh, likely that some of it may be based on some truth, and then nice stories were written around it. It's likely some of it's completely made up. We have no real way of knowing because we don't have a good historical record of, of anything that has to deal with him. Uh, but we have stories out there. We have legends. We have something. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. So St. Nicholas was born sometime in the late 200s, probably towards the end of the 200s, in Patara, a coastal city in present-day Turkey. He was born to a wealthy family of Greek Christians, and the wealthy part becomes a big part of his story because his parents die when he was a young man. And so he becomes the uh, inheritor the heir of this massive fortune. They were very, very wealthy, according to the story. And what he decides to do is, you know, a lot of young men, when they inherit a lot of money, they're going to go and live it up and blow it all on, you know, big palaces and the best horses you can buy, not fancy cars, but whatever, you know, the stuff of their day. Uh, but that is not where Nicholas went. Nicholas decided he was going to devote his life to Christ, and he took very serious the teaching to sell your possessions and give to the poor. And so here he is with this new fortune, this inheritance, and he decides he's going to use it to help the poor and the needy. And he becomes known for his generosity. He gave away his money to those who needed it. Uh, most famously, there's, there's one story about him giving stuff away that kind of stuck, that is often repeated about him. It involves a father who had three daughters. Uh, this father was very poor, so poor, in fact, that he could not afford to have his daughters get married. 
because in that day and age, in order for your daughter to get married, you had to provide a, a dowry to the groom or the groom's family. You had to give payment of money for them to take one of your daughters as a wife, and this father does not have enough money to give a dowry of any type. Like, you know, the more money you had, the better dowry, the better you could marry, you know, more higher status type of person you could marry your daughter off to. Well, this father can't afford to marry his daughters off to anyone. And so they're going to go unmarried, uh, which left them with very little options in life. Um, really, their only options would be like slavery, uh, likely into prostitution. And so it's a father of three daughters who were kind of doomed to a life of becoming prostitutes. And apparently Nicholas heard about their situation. And as the story goes, one night uh, during the middle of the night, he throws a, a bag of gold through the window, which supposedly landed in, in either a stocking or a shoe, depending on the telling. Right? And it was enough money for the first daughter to get married. And so she goes off and gets married. Everyone's joyous, happy, yay, but there's still two more daughters. Well, after the first daughter gets married, another bag of gold gets thrown through the window. And she gets married. And uh, now, as you can expect what's coming, the third daughter needs a husband. So here comes Nicholas with another bag of gold. And as he throws it through the window, and then the father comes out of the house because he kind of knows what's up by this point, and he stays awake multiple nights waiting for whoever this mysterious gift giver is. Uh, and he falls down on Nicholas's knees and thanks him for his generosity. And Nicholas orders him, don't tell anyone, I want to keep it a secret. Uh, right? And so this is kind of the origin of the mysterious gift giver who comes in the night. That's a big part of the Nicholas story. He's a generous man who gives gifts in the middle of the night when no one knows he's there. You just wake up and there's, there's gold in your stocking or in your shoe. <laughs> so you can see where some of the traditions already start to work their way in. Uh, not all of the St. Nicholas stories are so kind of festive. There's actually a pretty horrible one about, uh, well, again, there's, there's a man who's uh, hitting hard times. He's a butcher in the midst of a famine. Uh, he cannot get any animals to butcher, and a butcher without animals is, well, has nothing. Uh, and so this butcher uh, decides to lure three children into his home, where he proceeds to kill them and place them in barrels of brine so they can cure, so that he can sell them as ham. <laughs> it's horrible. A lot of stories from the Middle Ages are, are horrible and violent, and this is one of them. But there's a good ending. Nicholas is visiting the area, and he senses something is wrong. You know, it's kind of like divine intervention. The Holy Spirit tells him that there's something going on in this butcher shop, and so he goes in, and he finds the barrel, and he finds the three children's bodies, and he prays fervently over them, and they are restored to life. He brings them back to life through his prayers. That's a, it's a great story. Probably a legend, but a great story. Variations of this story exist. You know, sometimes they say that uh, they were older, they were college students who got kidnapped and killed. Um, th there's even stories about him saving three men who were, three grown men, maybe even soldiers, who were framed and or tr convicted of a crime they didn't commit, they were innocent, and he freed them uh, from that. And so there's all kinds of stories that are very similar to this about him going out and helping. Usually it's always three people, but saving their lives one way or another. Uh, but because of this story and, and similar ones like it, he becomes known as kind of the savior of children. Uh, and so a lot of artwork and stuff shows him 
kind of saving these three children from bringing him back from the dead, uh, which eventually leads to him becoming regarded as the, the protector and the patron saint of children. And so parents would pray to St. Nicholas uh, for their children's safety and their health. Right? And so these and other stories like this um, kind of become the legend of St. Nicholas, and they make him a tremendously popular character throughout Europe uh, in the Middle Ages. In fact, he's probably one of the most, if not the most popular of saints uh, during hundreds of years uh, of human history. Because right, he's he's the saint of he's of generosity and giving of children. Uh, he also becomes known as the the patron saint of sailors. Uh, he was a world traveler during one of his travels. He's out with sailors. He calms a storm, kind of like Jesus did, and the sailors, uh, you know, lift up uh, Nicholas as well someone who can save sailors from the midst of bad weather. And so he, so the, uh, sailors begin praying to him when the weather uh, turns to the worse. So he becomes their patron saint as well. So, I mean, just a, a w wide array of things that he's known for and that people raise him up for, uh, and that makes him very popular. Now, we have no way of verifying any of these legends, but, you know, they're good stories, and I think there's some truth in, in them uh, somewhere in there. Now, historically, we know that uh, he was a traveler. Uh, he does travel to the Holy Land and to Palestine. Uh, he gets out and sees much of the world, but eventually he settles down uh, in Mira, which is in present-day Turkey. It's really close to where he was born, where he grew up, and there he becomes a bishop, and he is known as the Bishop of Mira for many years. Um, it's not a great time to be a bishop or to be a Christian in general. This is during the Diocletian persecutions, which if you've listened to uh, the episode on uh, Constantine, you can remember some of this as one of the worst persecutions that Christians endured. Um, thousands and thousands of Christians are arrested, um, tortured, often killed. It was a horrible time to be a Christian and a horrible time to be a bishop, and this is the time he's a bishop. And so uh, he is imprisoned and tortured, but not killed, uh, during the Diocletian persecutions. Uh, but eventually, Constantine rises to power, uh, the persecution ends, and he is allowed to go back to his business as the bishop. The other big life event uh, that likely is true that he was a part of that we, we know is the Council of Nicaea, which also happened under Constantine. Again, that's something I talked about in that episode. If you haven't listened to it, you better go back and listen to that one. But the Council of Nicaea was uh, this big meeting of all the church leaders. All the bishops got together to kind of hash out theology, to get rid of some heretics, mainly a guy named uh, Arian who was telling people that Jesus wasn't really God, he was, a, a, he was below God, there's only one God, he didn't believe in the Trinity. So the Council of Nicaea was called to kind of hash this out, uh, out of which comes most, not most, many of our most important doctrines that we have in Christianity today. Um, I mean, most importantly, the belief that Jesus is God and the, the idea of the Trinity that we have that comes out of the Council of Nicaea. And Arian is called a heretic and cast out of the church. Now, the legend uh, of the Council of Nicaea is that, well, St. Nicholas was there, uh, which is very possible. We really don't have any record of this. There are a, There is records of all the people who were in attendance, and he's not on all those lists, but he is on some of them, but we don't know if maybe he was added later, or maybe he was omitted from some of the other lists, or maybe they weren't everybody. It's, it's hard to say. You know, we have multiple lists that go back to about that time, and, and even right to that time, uh, and 
well, he's not always on him. So it's hard to say why that is, if he was there or not. I think it's likely he was a bishop of the church, and like I said, almost all the bishops were there, so it's likely he was there. Uh, but the legend is that while he was there in the midst of their debating, he actually gets so infuriated, uh, he goes up and slaps Arian across the face, uh, which is just hilarious to think about, really. The Santa Claus is out there slapping people who he disagrees with. It's not quite the image we have of him. Uh, but that's one of Nicholas's stories. Uh, he He's reported to have died on December 6th in the year 343 at 73 years old. He probably had a white beard, uh, though he would have had brown skin, so not quite Santa. Uh, he's buried there in Mira. Uh, and usually... You know, this is where kind of we end. The history of a person ends when they do, when they die. Uh, but that's not true with St. Nicholas. There's, uh, for two reasons, really. One, because he has a very, his bones go on to live a very turbulent life. Uh, his bones were there in Mira where he was buried. It was a shrine. You know, people would come and visit it because he was a big deal. He was a major saint, uh, it, which is why in 1087, some Italian sailors came and just took him. They, they just took his bones. Not all of them, most of them. They, they left all of his major bones. They left some of the small ones, maybe some finger bones or whatnot. But they took all, most of his bones, uh, and they brought them to Bari, a town in southern Italy. And there they displayed them, and it became a major pilgrimage destination throughout the Middle Ages. And, and actually, it's still there today. Uh, and you can go see St. Nicholas's bones if you want to. They're still there on display. Uh, although not all of them that were taken, because many of the little bone fragments were sent all over Europe, uh, as they were scenes of he was a, he was a major deal. He was a big saint, so people, other rulers, other leaders, other areas wanted his bones because that was part of the Middle Age religious system. Relics were a big deal. Right? And then the rest of his bones, which were left in Mira by the sailors, eventually get taken as well in 1100. Uh, they're taken off again by Italians, this time to Venice and put on display there. And so uh, where he was buried in his hometown, he doesn't get a stay. His body gets taken over to Italy because the Italians liked St. Nicholas and they wanted to have his bones, I guess. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, it's interesting, though, that uh, analysis has been done on actually both sets of bones in recent years, uh, and they are actually dated to the 4th century. So they're time-wise, they link up with uh, with when St. Nicholas was supposed to be alive, and uh, the bones in Bari and in Venice seem to be from the same person. So it is very possible. There are actually his bones. So you can go see Santa Claus's bones if you want to. Uh, I would not bring the kids to that one, though. All right. Which brings us to the second part of his post-death story, and that is his becoming Santa Claus, which actually is a journey that, uh, well, takes a long time, and it's kind of convoluted how we even get there. Uh, and it's actually fairly recently that, that St. Nicholas is thought of as, as the Santa Claus character. Um, so when St. Nicholas dies on December 6th, that becomes his feast day. And throughout the Middle Ages, throughout Europe, uh, it became customary to give gifts on that day because he was known as a gift giver. He was a generous guy, and, so, and he was a patron saint of children. So you would give gifts to your children on December 6th. You would often leave them in either a shoe or a stocking. You know, they'd leave their shoes out, and they'd wake up, and there'd be a present uh, inside of them. Right, which goes back to his, you know, most famous story on how he threw the gold through the window and all that. And actually, this is a practice that's still done many places throughout Europe. 
Uh, and so there were lots of people giving gifts in his name on December 6th. Um, amongst them were the Dutch, the Netherlands, uh, particularly take to, to Nicholas and his story. He becomes there known as Sinterklaas. Uh, and there's a lot of legend that comes around Sinterklaas uh, that expands on his, his story. Stuff that didn't happen to him, but that sounds good. And, and that kind of gets into the story more, gives him more depth to it. Uh, and so, and Sinterklaas is just being, you know, a short version of Saint Nicholas or, or Saint Nicholas, as they would say, they call him Saint. And so this idea of Sinterklaas, which again is a gift giver, even more so, uh, and that's where we start to see kind of the jolly guy brings presents, but it's still on December 6th. Um, that then seems to have merged uh, in America with the English tradition of gift giving, which was done by Father Christmas, who again is a big fat jolly guy with a beard uh, who brings presents to people, except he brings them on December 25th. Uh, because after the Reformation happened, what, what goes on is, is uh, throughout a lot of Europe, the Protestants, they don't want to you know, venerate the saints the same way the Catholics do, and so they start giving presents on December 25th, which is by this point thought of as Christmas, as Jesus' birthday, instead of on December 6th, because they don't want to celebrate holy days of saints the, the way the Catholics did. And so that's how in England they start giving gifts on December 25th, and it's Father Christmas who does it. And then in America they take these ideas of Sinterklaas and Father Christmas and kind of merge them into one character who brings gifts on one day. And they, they take the Dutch name, Sinterklaas, and they kind of, uh, well, Americanize it, I guess. They just, I don't know, they, they change it for whatever reason into Santa Claus. And that becomes the name of the gift giver who comes in December. Uh, Santa Claus was first used in the U.S. press. There's, we have a reference from 1773. It's really not until the 1800s, mid-1800s, that it becomes really popular and we start to really see more of it coming along. So like I said, it's really kind of a new idea. And then obviously lots of new legends, you know, the elves and North Pole and all that stuff gets added in later. Uh, that has nothing to do with St. Nicholas, but it makes Santa Claus his own kind of character. So really Santa Claus is his own thing now. Uh, it's changed drastically from, you know, good old St. Nick and what actual St. Nicholas was, uh, but it is, it's based on him, right? And so, so there you go. That's his story. The, the kind of true story of St. Nicholas, very steeped in legend, hard to know who he really was, but there was a real guy there. There was a real guy there, and he seems to have legitimately been generous and loving, which is everything you want out of a good saint. It's everything out of you want out of a, a Santa Claus. That's, well, it's really everything you want around Christmas time. So he's, he's a good character. He's a good guy. If we're going to hold up anybody, he seems like a good person to hold up around Christmas as this generous, gift-giving, loving guy who's out there helping people. That's what, well, the Christmas spirit's all about. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Maybe St. Nicholas will bring you something special this year, too. All right, have a have a great Christmas and uh, and a great New Year. Take care. Bye.